Amen. Well, 81 years ago, in 1938, this church building and its then congregation was consecrated and dedicated for the worship of God. 81 years ago. It's quite a long time ago, isn't it? If you saw some of the photos when you were coming in, you would have seen what this building looked like actually immediately before it was opened and in those first few years. Bit different, isn't it? A little bit different, particularly like the whitewashed building and, uh, and some of the, the immediately surrounding area. 81 years ago. Now, at the moment in the Church of England, there is a lot of talk going on about um, church planting. And in March of this year, it won't have escaped anybody's notice, that 35 adults and children um, from another church, from St Andrews, joined a church planting team and moved over here to plant a new church congregation and to be part of what God is doing in this parish of Sands and Castlefield. Now, we're about six months in now since that planting team arrived, and whenever I travel around or catch up with friends, they always ask me, how's it going? And I sort of pause and go, hmm... How to answer that question? How is it going? Hard work? Yep. Challenging? Yep. Exciting? Yes, definitely. Surprising? Yeah, it is actually. There's been quite a few surprising things that God has done that we weren't expecting. Has it been good? Yes, actually. I think it's been good. And God has been good. And God has been faithful. But I have a bit of a wry smile sometimes when I hear all of this talk about church planting, which is the label that is used going on around the Church of England and elsewhere, because you would think that it was a brand new concept. And when I talk to other friends of mine who are ministers and vicars at other churches, and I say, oh yeah, well part of what I'm doing is I'm leading a church plant, they go, oh that sounds cool. But actually, actually, church planting is as old as the church itself. It's not a new thing at all. In 1938, this church didn't just spring up out of nowhere. It was planted. For those of you that uh, know the history, um, the predecessor to this building, there's a photo of it at the back, was the Tin Church, which was called St. Mary's, which was down in the village of Sands. And when the congregation outgrew that and there was a decision to build a more purpose-built building, this building was built in 1938. But those churches were originally part of the parish of West Wickham, and it was the parish of West Wickham that planted a new church and a new congregation to respond to the challenge of an expanding population on this side of town, in the Sands area, as it was then. Castlefield was built a little bit later. So um, this land was purchased from the Dashwood family, um, who own this land, which is why the road that we live on is that way, is Dashwood Avenue. Um, and uh, it was purchased from the Dashwood family, and it was the parish of West Wickham that built and commissioned and effectively planted this church to reach out to a new community that was developing. Now, back in those days, 81 years ago, um, we didn't use the language of church plants. The Church of England talked about daughter churches. 
But it's exactly the same thing. A church plant, a daughter church, the concept is exactly the same. Now, if you go back further still into the 19th and 18th century, what you find is that particularly in the 19th century, the Victorians were all over this stuff. So much of the church buildings that we now see littered across our landscape and we think have been there forever were planted by the Victorians across the 19th century. Many of them were built and were commissioned because there were new communities rising up in particular areas and a church somewhere else said, we've got to respond to this need, so we're going to plant a new church to reach that growing population. So it's quite amusing, really, that 81 years later, we've sort of come full circle as a church. We've come from being planted to now receiving another church planting team and entering into a new chapter, but there's nothing new under the sun, is there? If you look back, actually, further still into the New Testament, we see that the church began through church planting. We've just been going through a series, haven't we, through the book of Acts, which began on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, the disciples scatter, and we see all across the New Testament these apostles planting new churches, particularly the Apostle Paul, who was probably one of the most successful church planters that the church has ever known. And all of those letters that he writes, Corinthians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and so on, are letters to churches that were planted. Now, this morning, as we come together to mark this really important occasion, one of the most important lessons I think the Bible teaches us is that we need to be a people who both look back and look forward. So as we figure out what the church is calling, what the Lord is calling us to as a church this year in 2019 and in the years to come, I think one of the ways we do that is that on the one hand, we look back into our history and we ask the question, how has God spoken and how has God moved and how has God acted in the past? And the second thing that we do is we look to the present and the future and we discern what is the new thing that the Holy Spirit of God is doing now and is wanting to lead us into. So we as a church need to be a people who look back and look forward. So let's take a look at our Bible passage for this morning, which is from Luke 5, if you've still got that open in front of you. Amazing story of Jesus calling his first disciples. So Jesus is at the lake of Gennesaret, which is just another name, by the way, given to the Sea of Galilee. And he's preaching there when he sees at the water's edge two boats and some fishermen, Peter, also called Simon, James, and John. And these fishermen have been fishing all night and have caught zilch. And then, by the end of the story, they are reining in such a monumental catch of fish that even with the help of boats around them, the boats are sinking under the weight of it. So what happens in between these two bookends of the story? 
Ostensibly, this story is about fishing, right? Three fishermen, Jesus speaking to three fishermen, them not being able to catch fish, and by the end of the story, they've caught fish. But we know, because of what Jesus said, that this story is not really about fish. It's about people, and it's about Jesus calling these early disciples to be fishers of people. It's about him calling them to a life of mission and evangelism and bringing in the lost. So let me just pull out a few important points from this story and suggest how they might relate to us today. Firstly, Simon, James, and John had been fishing all night but had caught nothing. Just try and imagine for a moment their sense of exhaustion, their frustration, and their discouragement. Try and put yourself for a moment in their shoes. By the time that Jesus shows up in the morning, they're probably about ready to pack up and go home because they've expended so much energy all through the night on this task and it's failed. I wonder if you've ever experienced something akin to that in your Christian life. I wonder if you've ever experienced that being part of a church. I remember when we first moved here, um, having a conversation uh, with Chris, actually, shortly after we arrived, and he shared some of this at my licensing service a year ago, and just saying, how are things going at St. Mary and St. George? What's your experience of church? And what I really appreciated about Chris was that um, he still doesn't. He never sugared the pill. Um, So he just said it as it was and said, actually, things have been quite tough for the last few years. Things have been difficult. And he described what this parish and what this church was as it really was, that numbers had declined in recent years, that people were tired, that there was a sense that the church needed some new energy and some new vision. And to relate it to our Bible passage, it was like it had been a long night and we've been out fishing all night and we've not really caught much and, you know, we're tired. Now, I'm really excited that we're in the midst of launching a couple of new missional communities that we heard about this morning. I hope that they don't become the only ones. There is a big invitation that if you want to start thinking about launching a new missional community around a particular focus, come and have a conversation with me about it. But in some ways, these missional communities are going to be like fishing boats. They're going out into deep water, going out into the highways and the byways of this parish to find the people that God wants to draw into his kingdom. But amidst all the excitement about launching those new communities, and I am excited about it, I want to issue a note of caution, which is this. There will be times, even in the life of those missional communities, where you will think, this just isn't working, and we're tired, and we've tried loads of stuff, and we're not connecting with that many people in this particular season. That may not happen, but I warn you that it it might, because that is life, and that's what happens sometimes when we follow Jesus. You feel like you're pulling out all the stops, and you're putting in all your energy, and you're doing all the stuff you're meant to be doing, right? You're following the manual, but it's not quite working. And the temptation in those moments, whether we're talking as a whole church or in missional communities, is to give up. So that leads me to the second point. Jesus in this story enters the boat and he speaks to Simon Peter and says, 
put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, how would you have responded in that situation, honestly? All night you've been fishing for, and you're a professional fisherman, and then this rabbi turns up, this teacher, who's the son of a carpenter, by the way, what does he know about fishing, turns up by the lakeside and says, um, yeah, what you want to do, mate, is you want to like, go back out into the water and put your nets down, and they're like, no way, really? We've tried that all night, and it didn't work. What would your reaction have been? I'd have been a bit irritated. Now, these disciples get that Jesus is someone special because they've just heard him preaching. They know something of who he is, that he's sent by God, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, they've been out all night trying to get a catch of fish, and it still hasn't happened. And Simon protests a bit. He says, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And then he continues, But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, two really important things go on in Simon Peter's response here. Firstly, look at the way he addresses Jesus. Master. Um, That's a Greek word that's only used a few times in the New Testament. And um, that particular Greek word there that Simon Peter is using, it means more than just a term of respect. It's not like just saying, sir. It implies authority. Simon is recognizing that Jesus is in charge, that he comes with authority. It's almost as if he was calling him commander. Okay, that would be quite a good translation. He is somebody to be obeyed. And he says, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, these fishermen have no idea what is about to happen. They don't know that they're suddenly going to haul in a miraculous catch. Maybe they're still doubting, probably. But look at Simon Peter's heart of obedience. Because you say so, I will do it. Now, for those of you who six months ago made the move over from St. Andrews to come and join this church, I trust that you did that because you had a sense of calling. You had a sense of God nudging you, of God calling you. And you stepped out in faith and said, okay, Lord, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what it's going to amount to. I don't know what's going to happen in six months or a year, but I sense you're calling me and I'll make the move. But I want to say, whether you've been worshipping here for six months or 60 years or more, whether you've been part of this family for a short period of time or a long period of time, I wonder if all of us are prepared to say yes to the invitation that Jesus gives to step, as it were, into this new chapter, this new season in the church's life, not knowing necessarily what it's going to look like, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what the successes and the hardships are going to be, but simply as an act of obedience to say, okay, Lord, if you're calling, I'll say yes. And look what happens next. Such a large catch of fish that their nets begin to break. What an amazing turnaround. And then finally, 
Jesus concludes with this amazing invitation that we touched on when we did the rucksack exercise at the beginning. He says, from now on, you will become fishers of people. And Simon, James, and John pulled up their boats, left them on the shore, and followed Jesus. Now, just get that for a moment. These three fishermen left everything because fishing represented for them their livelihood and their security. It was everything that they had. They would have inherited these businesses from their fathers. It would have been their source of income, their identity, their means of security, their occupation, and they left it behind and followed Jesus. And what is he calling them to? Well, Jesus is calling them to become fishers of people, to devote the rest of their lives to rescuing and saving and drawing in people who don't yet know Jesus into the kingdom of God. And they gave their lives to that. And we've seen, as we've been tracking through the book of Acts over the last few weeks, what that looked like, the sacrifice that was entailed, the places that God sent them to. And it's the reason that over successive centuries in this country and elsewhere, if we fast forward several centuries, that there's still been this movement of planting new churches and sending missionaries and going where God is calling. It's the reason why this church was planted first in 1938, 81 years ago, because some people say we've got to be obedient to the call of God. There's a people over here that need to hear about Jesus. There isn't a Christian community there that's serving them. We've got to be faithful and we've got to go and share the gospel. It's the reason why six months ago, some of you felt called to come over here and say, we've got to be part of what God is doing here. We've got to renew the life of this church and pray that the Spirit of God would send us out to see people come to know him. This stuff looks different in every generation. Church planting now doesn't look like what it looked like 81 years ago. Then it didn't look like what it looked like in the Victorian era. Then it didn't look like what it looked like in the New Testament times. But the task is the same and has been unchanged for 2,000 years to follow Jesus and to fish for people. Now, as we go out over the next few months in missional communities, in community outreach groups, in all the various other things that we'll do, sharing the love of God, sharing the message of Jesus, some people that we engage with will come to church. They'll come on a Sunday. They'll worship with us. Great. Some won't. That's the reality. When we go out and we share the good news of Jesus with people, some people will decide to give their lives to Jesus and follow him. Some won't, and that's not our responsibility. The work of converting hearts is the work of God and his Holy Spirit, but our job is to leave everything, follow Jesus, and fish for people, to share the good news of Jesus with all that we meet. That is our calling. That is our vocation. We have this sort of strap line that we've been working with as a church that we want to be good news to Sands and Castlefield. Good news. That's the same word that we use for gospel, good news. We want to be good news for Sands and Castlefield. Are we up for that? Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit has been at work through successive centuries and generations, going back now for 2,000 years since the birthday of the church on that first Pentecost. You've been sending people out. You've been planting new worshiping communities. You've been planting new churches. And we thank you, Lord, for the faithful witness of those that have gone before us. We thank you for the priests and vicars that have been at this church for the last 81 years and for their faithful witness. We thank you for people that have devoted their lives in the service of this parish. We thank you that 81 years ago, there were Christians who saw it fit to build this church. We thank you that six months ago, there were those who felt called to move here and be part of the new thing that you're doing. And we pray for all of us that we would be open now to your call on our lives and for the call on this church to be good news to its community.